Our scripture lesson is John's account of the resurrected Christ appearance to his disciples. Yes, uh, it's an Easter story, but that's not where I'm going with it because there is so much more packed into this text. With the exception of Thomas, the disciples were all there hiding behind locked doors for fear that the authorities who tried and sent Jesus to his death would come for them next. It's within this context that we have John's version of the Great Commission and Pentecost all rolled into one. In verse 21, Jesus commissioned them, As the Father sent me, so I send you. And in verse 22, he gave them the gift of the Holy Spirit to act on his behalf. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. This lesson also contains the well-known story of Thomas doubting Jesus' resurrection and his less frequently considered confession of faith. That will be our focus today. As you listen to this familiar story, listen for a new word from God for you. Listen and be open to the difference this new word can make in your life. So let's read from the Gospel of John, chapter 20, verses 19 through 31. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jewish authorities, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you the Great Commission. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said, said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit, Pentecost. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Possibly priesthood of the believers rolled into it. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the mark of the nail in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails in my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house and Thomas was with them and said, and all the, door, the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and, and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. And friends, that's us. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. 
But these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of, the, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name, a life being transformed daily into a human being created in the image of God. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please join me in prayer. God in whom we live and move and have our being, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Have you ever been running late and just miss an event that you really wanted to witness? Maybe by only just a few minutes. Everybody was there but you, all excited, recounting exactly what had happened, exactly what you missed. Don't you feel left out of all the excitement? You felt kind of like an outsider. What a disappointment. What a disappointment. And that's the way it was for Thomas. All of the disciples except Thomas were huddled together, afraid to be seen in public, afraid for their lives. Why Thomas wasn't there, we're, we're really not sure. We're not told. Maybe they drew straws to see who would go to the market to get some food, and he got the short straw. Maybe he just got tired of being cooped up with this small, in this small house with the ten most wanted men in Jerusalem. I could identify with that. Well, for whatever reason, Thomas' timing was off, and he wasn't there. Like the guy who leaves the stands at, to get some popcorn and a Coke, and while he's gone, his friends witness Auburn's game-winning touchdown over Bama. Or vice versa. He just can't quite share the excitement. Thomas returns and is immediately met by his excited companions who say they have seen the Lord. They have seen and experienced it all. The joy of the resurrected Christ, the personal commissioning, and the gift of the Holy Spirit was breathed upon them by Christ himself. But Thomas was absent, and he had missed it all. Can't you just hear Thomas? Good story, guys. That ought to keep the authorities away. Jesus is risen. Yeah, we've seen him. Yeah, that should be convincing. Now, why didn't I think of that? Come on, this is Thomas. You know me. I don't believe unless I see. And I haven't seen anybody but you hysterical nitwits. Thomas had two choices. He could have faked it, pretending he believed their far-fetched story, hoping that eventually he would be able to, to really believe them. Or he could take the risk of being honest and calling them out while he processed this bombshell that had just dropped on him. And of course, there, there is a third option. It's one option that some folks take. Thomas could have said, no way, I'm out of here, and walked away never to be seen again. 
I guess it would have been easier just to have stayed on the outside, found another group of friends. Thomas, despite his new role as an outsider, doesn't give up on this group. With integrity, Thomas expresses his genuine doubts while remaining a part of his faith community. You have to hand it to the other ten disciples also. They didn't toss Thomas out for his skepticism. They didn't criticize him or label him as doubting Thomas, as Christians did later. They knew him and they loved him. He was one of them and would be unless he chose otherwise. They simply share their claims truthfully while keeping him in their midst. That's, that's community. That's what it's about. When Jesus comes among them again about a week later, this time Thomas is with them. Jesus takes Thomas' doubts seriously. He doesn't discount them, nor does he ignore them. He's just as honest and straightforward as is Thomas. Go ahead and touch me. Put your fingers in the nail marks and your hand in my side. Significantly, Thomas has remained open to the truth. And when he sees Jesus, he confesses, my Lord and my God. His willingness to follow his question led him to an authentic faith. His true and abiding faith was formed in the depths of doubt. He didn't go looking for doubt, but he wasn't going to deny it. Doubt isn't dealt with by denying its existence. In fact, doubt, uh, in fact, faith doesn't exist without the possibility of doubt. It seems to me that Thomas represents all of us. He wasn't the only disciple to doubt that Jesus had been raised. In fact, nobody believed it until they saw him. Mary went to the tomb to take care of his dead body, not the resurrected Christ. She thought that he was the gardener who perhaps had moved Jesus' body. This was her best friend, and she didn't recognize him until he called her name. Likewise, those ten disciples didn't believe her story, not until Christ stood among them in the upper room. It is essential that these first disciples were able to witness with their own eyes the risen Christ. If it weren't for their eyewitness accounts, what would be the basis of our belief? Because their doubts were displaced by having seen the risen Christ and their faith was authenticated, we are able to have an authentic faith too. Because of their witness, we can say with assurance, he is risen indeed. Now that means different things to different people. But whatever our differences, it means trusting in his presence in our day-to-day -day lives and doing so with hope. We join generations of doubters, beginning with the first disciples. I repeat, I believe that doubt is a necessary step on the road to faith. Frederick Beekner once said, if you don't have doubts, you're either kidding yourself or you're asleep. And someone else said, doubt is that border territory where growth may be occurring.
But we should make a real distinction between doubt and disbelief. Those are two different things. Disbelief is univocal. With one voice, it says a clear, unambiguous no. Doubt, doubt is more ambiguous. Doubt says yes, but there are voices in doubt which say it might be so. Perhaps our most honest confession is the one that resonates with the, with the father of the epileptic son who said to Jesus, I believe, help my unbelief. And Jesus healed his son. Authenticity is important in the life of a, of a disciple of Jesus Christ. Whether it's authentic doubt or authentic faith, Jesus responds to both with love and grace, giving us each what we need to take the risk of believing and following him, entrusting us with the treasure of the gospel, the good news of God's steadfast, everlasting love. Well, tradition has it that Thomas was the first missionary to India. The good news was entrusted to this honest disciple, perhaps because of his integrity and his authenticity. It takes a person of authentic faith who isn't afraid to struggle with authentic doubt, to leave all that's familiar, to take that faith to an unfamiliar land and culture. I think honest or authentic Thomas is a much better name than Doubting Thomas, don't you? The great reformer Martin Luther struggled with doubt and depression. Luther said, one cannot know the meaning of hope who is never subject to trials. And his life was an impassioned struggle for faith. Dorothy Day, the late founder of the Catholic Worker, described her inability to pray as she was coming to faith. Whenever she knelt, she would be overcome by doubt and shame, asking herself, do I really believe? To whom am I praying? Is prayer for the lonely and religion for the weak? But once while walking to the village to get her mail, she found herself praying again, this time out of a deep sense of thankfulness. Encouraged, she continued on against her doubts. No matter how dull the day, how long the walk seemed, or how sluggish she felt at the beginning, the words of thanksgiving that she prayed began slowly to move into her heart and expand that God-shaped space into a gratitude and compassion-driven faith. I identify greatly with Dorothy Day's faith pilgrimage. It was and still is through daily prayers of thanksgiving that I've been able to overcome doubts. And even in the midst of doubt, it has given, it has given me the strength of faith to stand firm on issues that don't always find popular support. And I'm sure you have too. It seems that gratitude has a way of affirming God's goodness and opening us up to a hope that can be experienced only through an authentic faith that's not threatened by authentic doubts. Authentic faith is more than an unflappable assent to a particular set of beliefs. How easy it is to talk about being a Christian without acting like one. 
How easy it is to stand in church and say Jesus is Lord without actually turning our lives over to his direction. How easy it is to sit in our comfortable seats and ignore a world in desperate need of our witness and our generosity and our willingness to stand alongside the weak and the defenseless, not just in church on Sunday morning, but in our day-to-day lives when we consider our response to political rhetoric and how we vote, when we take a public stand for what is right, especially when it's unpopular, when we stand alongside someone who is being persecuted and ridiculed because, just because of who they are and what they believe, when we consider someone else's needs above our own comfort. Faith isn't the absence of fear and doubt. It's being willing to follow the Via Dolorosa, the way of suffering that Jesus calls us to walk in spite of our doubts, regardless of our fears. If there's no risk involved, even the risk of looking and feeling like a fool, can we call it faith? Jesus said, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Faith doesn't ask us to do something foolish. Faith instead asks us to do what we believe to be right, even if we may look foolish and even if people may call us fools. Joe, and each of you for that matter, Jesus is calling you and me to authenticity, not orthodoxy. Being in the majority doesn't necessarily mean you're in the right. Traditions and doctrines have their place, but they're not absolute. You can see that in the evolution of our confessions and creeds over the centuries. Just because something has stood the test of time doesn't mean that it's right for this time. It doesn't even mean it ever was right. Jesus honored traditions, but he also challenged them. In his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus repeatedly proclaimed regarding conventional wisdom and orthodoxy, you have heard that it was said, but I say to you. And we saw that lived out as he sometimes breached the social religious norms of his time and culture. Sometimes the church does great things for God's kingdom. And sometimes God's kingdom prevails in spite of the church. It's up to us. It's up to us in the present moment in history to lead the church, to make shifts and priorities, and sometimes even, oh my goodness, make changes, change directions. Metanoia is the Greek word, and about face, if we're going to proclaim and live God's kingdom. And it takes authenticity and leadership and a willingness a willingness to compassionately challenge leadership, to swim against the current, to proclaim a new path if we're going to follow the way of Jesus. I read this post on Facebook the other day. It was titled, The Reverse of the Prayer of St. Francis. I think it would better be titled The Mirror Image of the Prayer of St. Francis, but I didn't write it, so I didn't get to name it. But uh, uh, I, I like it. Uh, 
It doesn't negate the original prayer of St. Francis, which is so profoundly beautiful, but expands it to include the side of Jesus that calls us to actions that may be contrary to tradition and orthodoxy or even the latest trend on behalf of our compassion and justice. So listen to this mirror image, I'm going to call it, of the prayer of St. Francis. Lord, make me a channel of disturbance. Where there is apathy, let me provoke. Where there is compliance, let me bring questioning. Where there is silence, may I be a voice. Where there is too much comfort and too little action, grant disruption. Where there are doors closed and hearts locked, grant the willingness to listen. When laws dictate and pain is overlooked, when tradition speaks louder than need, grant that I may seek rather to do justice than to talk about it. Disturb us, O Lord, to be with as well as for the alienated, to love the unlovable as well as the lovely. Lord, make me a channel of disturbance. Jesus calls us to authenticity, but authenticity is not the same as obstinance. It's allowing the other person to be authentic too. It sets aside pride and is open to hearing the other side. It's respectful and civil even in disagreement. Authenticity may require you to move on to serve where you can be more productive. Those things happen. But whether you stay or leave a place, do so loving both those you leave behind and those with whom you're about to start a mutual journey. We base our faith on the witness of those who did see the resurrected Christ and who gave their lives to, pre to preserving and proliferating a faith that they had no reason to believe would survive in such a hostile pagan world, except that they had seen the mighty power of God. They had seen the mighty power of God in the one who was crucified, died, and buried, yet was alive. Blessed are we, who have not seen and yet have come to believe, who have the integrity to admit and face our doubts, and even so in our believing have taken the risk of living life in the hope that the good news entrusted to us is God's very means of transforming not only us, but the whole world into the citizens of God. So Joe, you're a gift to the church. You're God's gift to the church. So just be Joe. Be you. Be yourself. Be who God created you to be. And don't let anyone make you waver from that. Amen.